The past couple of weeks, we've spent looking back at some of the prophecies, some of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, which signpost us towards Easter, which signpost us um, towards recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. And on Palm Sunday, that's a, a culmination of, of events. It's, it's what Jesus has been building up to, entering Jerusalem. It's a wonderful day. It's a wonderful image. But as we've said before, this didn't quite go as the Israelites had expected it, as, the, as the, the Old Testament Jews had been looking forward to. Now, yesterday, um, yesterday we, were, we were back in Essex. First time we've been back to Essex since we moved up here. Um, and uh, we, we went there on Friday, and we've, we've seen family and friends, and it's lovely, it's great. Um, it's nice to be home, and I, I, I use that word very carefully, home. This is, we, we felt as a family, absolutely, that this is home, which is, which is a great affirmation. It's wonderful. But um, while we were there, um, Joe and Tim went and did um, certain things. They saw, saw some people and did stuff. And I, um, I had an appointment to go and watch some cricket. So, <laughs> so I, I went there on, on Friday, and I saw a great day's cricket, Essex against Kent, and um, Essex were piling on the runs. And it, it was brilliant, really exciting. And then yesterday, um, I decided, you know, Joe and Tim, they've been, they've been really, really good. I thought, they deserve it. They can come with me. <laughs> and so we went along to the cricket. And yesterday's day, if I'm honest, it wasn't quite as exciting. Essex had racked up over 500 runs in the first two days. They, they, they'd set an almost in, impossible um, target. Um, Kent were just trying to grind out a draw. That's not entirely fair. They, they were scoring runs, but, you know, it's Kent. I can't give him too much credit. Um, the reason I'm telling you this is because I was sitting there with my son next to me. And if I'm honest, a lot of people might have lost interest because there was ball after ball after ball being bowled and there just weren't many wickets falling. And after about half an hour, I thought, oh, it's going to be one of those days. It's going to be one of those days where I come away trying to convince Tim that it's not dull. <laughs> um, but after about half an hour, he, 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 he tugged on my sleeve and he said, Dad. I said, yeah. He said, next, this is going to be it. This, he's going to take a wicket, this ball, this ball. I can tell he's going to take a wicket. And I could feel it. He was almost shaking with excitement. And of course, the, the bowler came in, bowled the ball, the batsman just let it go by, the wicketkeeper took it, it was another dot ball, nothing remarkable. Oh, next one, Dad, next one, next one. And he kept on going, the anticipation, the excitement. At one point he said, I'd, I'd forgotten, Dad, it's been so long since we came to watch cricket together, I'd forgotten how exciting it is. You see, it was, the, it was the promise and expectation that any minute now a wicket was going to be taken. It was that, that anticipation. He was convinced of it, even though, even though I, was, I was sitting there thinking, oh, no, this is getting a bit dull. It wasn't. For Tim, any second now, it was going to happen. In the lead up to Palm Sunday... And I don't just mean the, the short-term lead-up, I mean for the centuries leading up to Palm Sunday. There must have been 
that sort of atmosphere. There must have been times when the Israelites were nudging each other, saying, any second he's going to come. He's going to come any day. I just know it. I just know it. God's been doing, he's been doing this and this and this, and we, we, we just know it's going to happen. And they would have been shaking with the excitement and the anticipation. But there may have been other times when it felt a bit dull. And the promise maybe felt a little bit faded. And the excitement and anticipation were waning. And that roller coaster that they would have ridden must have been hard. But of course, we look back at Palm Sunday and we remember Jesus on the donkey entering Jerusalem and we, we, we celebrate that. But they, they maybe wouldn't have celebrated in quite the same way because they would have been expecting this. They would have been expecting the warrior king, the leader of all of heaven's armies coming in, a figure that you do not mess with, a figure of power and authority. And instead, instead, they got something more like the donkey. But of course, as with everything in Jesus' life, the donkey is not to be mocked. The donkey had a purpose, it had a reason. It was very carefully chosen by God himself at the dawn of time. Now, before we, before we go any further, we need to jump back slightly. Because we can learn something about the four Gospels here. The prelude, the immediate prelude to Palm Sunday is presented slightly differently by each of the Gospel writers. Immediately before Palm Sunday... Matthew records Jesus traveling along the road. And as, he, as Jesus is traveling along, they pass his two blind beggars at the side of the road. Two blind men who would have been entirely reliant on the help of other people, and all they could do day by day was sit by the road, hoping that some kind soul would throw a few coins in their direction. It must have been a pretty desperate existence. It must have been a, a fairly miserable existence. There wasn't the sort of help and support that we'd like to think is provided to, to, to anyone with an affliction these days. And as they realized that the person passing by with the, with the crowd, there must have been a lot of noise, and somehow they, they were told that this was Jesus passing by. Now, they had heard about Jesus they had heard that this was a man who had healing powers. This was a man who could perform miracles. This was a man who took pity on people like them. And so as, as, they, as, they, as he goes by, they shout, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. They cry out to God. They cry out, Lord. They recognize Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on us. It's a direct 
a direct appeal to Jesus. And they're rebuked and they're told to be quiet, but they just shout louder and louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And then Jesus stops and says, what can I do for you? They say, we want our sight. It's one of those moments in Scripture that we can look at and it's very, very easy to just read, gloss over it. But actually, what a, what a ridiculous thing to ask for. What, what, what can I do for you? Well, if uh, you got any food, um, can you give us some money? If, can, I, can I have your cloak? Can you lead me to the, the nearest town? They would all be reasonable requests, something practical that Jesus could say, yeah, sure, here you go. Any, any human being would be able to, to help to provide those things, but they recognize that Jesus is not just any human being. We want our sight. We want something done which even medical science 2,000 years later would not be able to do just like that. But Jesus had compassion on them, says Matthew, and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. So Jesus, for Matthew, immediately before the triumphant entry, Jesus opens the eyes of the blind because these two blind people have been able to see him for who he is, even without the physical gift of sight, which Jesus then restores to them. So Matthew shares that story just before, immediately before the narrative that he gives of the triumphant entry. Mark, again, a similar story. We have blind Bartimaeus receiving his sight. Again, he was sitting by the side of the road, The crowd goes by, Bartimaeus calls out. When he hears that it's Jesus, son of, uh, sorry, when he hears it's Jesus of Nazareth, he begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. A very similar instant to to the one that Matthew records. Some say it was the same, um, others say that this was two two, um, incidents, um, which happened at separate times. We don't know for sure, but the fact is, once again, once again, someone by faith, in Jesus' divine power, they are healed. And it's interesting, isn't it? Both times, many in the crowd rebuke the blind, tell them to be quiet. Don't be ridiculous. He doesn't want to hear from you. What can you offer? What can you do? But Jesus has compassion. And by compassion... He heals. To Bartimaeus, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. So it's a different response to the one that he gives the two blind men in Matthew's gospel. But they're two very similar incidents. In Luke's gospel, in Luke's gospel, we, we see Jesus visiting Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Zacchaeus, the despised little character who, who can't see through the crowd. He wants to see Jesus when he hears Jesus is coming. This is a man who, who cheated and stole from so many people in the neighborhood that he was, he was isolated. He had no, no real friends. No one liked him. He was one of the least popular people in the, in the whole city. But he wants to see Jesus. He goes running along and finds a tree and climbs a tree just so he can get sight 
of Jesus. And when Jesus sees him up there, he says, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? Come down. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to have a meal with you. We don't know what was said. We don't know what was done during that mealtime. But what we do know is that by the end of it, Zacchaeus, this, this mean, dishonest, manipulative character, says, look, Lord. There's that word again, Lord. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus is a reformed character, having spent one meal time with Jesus. Wouldn't it be great to know what was said and done in that house at that time? Wouldn't it be great to know what Jesus said and did? God. But that was kept private. Instead, we see Zacchaeus' words. We see the reformed character from someone who spent time with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And so Luke gives us Jesus going and changing someone's life, reforming a character, changing a heart, someone abandoning all the wealth and riches that they've built up and instead saying, Jesus is now my, my, my wealth and my riches. Jesus is, is, is the thing that I define myself through, not my wealth. Give that away. I, I, don't, I don't need that. Return it to the people I've stolen it from. Give it to the poor. Jesus. Jesus is now the thing in my life that I yearn, that I want to follow. It's all about Jesus. That's the Jesus that Luke presents to us. The Jesus who identifies himself as the Son of Man. Again, that title would have resonated in the ears of the Jews at the time. The son of man. In Daniel, Daniel writes about seeing one like a son of man. It would have triggered a realization of who Jesus was identifying himself as. And then finally, in John's gospel... The last event that John records before the triumphant entry is when Jesus is in Bethany and he's having a, a dinner. There's a, a, a dinner that is thrown in Jesus' honour. Why? Because it was there that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is there with him. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and so there is a dinner thrown in his honour. Martha was serving. Well, she would be, wouldn't she? She was serving, and uh, we're told that Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then we see Mary taking a pint of perfume, this perfume that was incredibly valuable. Incredibly valuable. It would have represented probably by far the most expensive possession that she owned. And she pours it out on his feet and uses her hair to wash his feet with it, to anoint his feet. And Judas objects. He said, why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Jesus comes back with a, a response which perhaps challenges us in the in 21st century today. He says, he says, leave her alone. 
It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Sometimes in church, we can, we can, the church can be criticised for having magnificent buildings or, or, or having sort of um, extravagant events, and people can say, oh, should be giving it away. No, we should be honouring Jesus. There's a fine line. Of course, we should give to the poor. We absolutely should. Jesus, Jesus approves of, of giving to the poor, of supporting the needy. But it doesn't mean that we neglect Jesus as we do that. And Mary is honoured by Jesus here. He doesn't chastise her. Instead, Judas is the one who's chastised. And so John presents the anointed Jesus immediately before the triumphal entry. And that's interesting because it gives us, it gives us different impressions, different ideas of how we can see Jesus immediately before he enters Jerusalem. So that when the time comes, we have, we have different perspectives of the character and the nature and the position of Jesus. The events that we read about on Palm Sunday, they are not an accident. They are absolutely not an accident. The donkey is no accident. The crowds and the palm leaves, the people crying out, Hosanna, all of these things, they were written. They were prophesied. And you see, what's interesting on, on Palm Sunday, the, the, for the past couple of Sundays, we've looked at certain prophecies, and I've said how around Jesus' birth and some of the things that happened at baptism and in his life, there was no way that Jesus could have, could have orchestrated that. He couldn't have made them happen. But on Palm Sunday, by the time we get here, Jesus is absolutely fulfilling prophecy purposefully. Now, some say that that's because he... he when he, was, when he was a child, he wasn't fully aware of his, his divine position, that he was the son of God, and that it was something that he came to learn and understand as God revealed it to him over time. Others say that he would have been fully aware from the word go, and there's, there's, different, there's different theologies on that, and they've each got their, um, their plausibilities. But what we see on Palm Sunday is Jesus ordering his disciples to go and do certain things and taking a certain route and making sure that he fulfilled all the prophecies that he, he needed to fulfill in order to demonstrate that the, that the promised saviour that God was going to send was there in him. He acts purposefully. There is nothing, there is nothing at all that is an accident on Palm Sunday. Right down to the, the moment, the moment when Jesus is told to quieten the crowd. And he says, if you quieten the crowd, the very stones themselves will cry out. Palm Sunday wasn't just an overexcited group of people gathering to, um, to get a piece of their favorite celebrity. Palm Sunday was an expression of triumphant celebration, of divine joy. 
which, which creation itself sang out. If, if, if the voices had been, had been quieted, then, then, then the stones themselves would have cried out. This was, this was the creator God celebrating a moment in his narrative which was so key, so pivotal, so important that there was a joy that creation would have expressed. When Jesus said that, he's, it's, it's, another, it's another affirmation of who he was. He is claiming to have divine power over creation. No one has divine power over creation except God. And so when Jesus makes that statement, don't miss what he's saying. You can, you can shut the people up. You can quieten the, the physical voices. But all that's going to do is elicit another response. My Father in heaven can bring storms, can bring wind, can bring fire. There will be another response. The very stones would cry out. And then, of course, at the end of this triumphant entry, two out of the four Gospels have Jesus turning around and going back to Bethany, not remaining in Jerusalem. Palm Sunday is an event in itself. It's not simply Jesus arriving in Jerusalem so that he can go to trial and then be crucified and then, and then a resurrection on the following Sunday. Palm Sunday is, an, is a key event in the life of Jesus, but also a key event in the divine, eternal narrative of God's plan for mankind. When, we, when we've looked back in the past couple of Sundays, we've seen, we've seen so many prophecies, so many times when Jesus is is foretold events that would take place. In Psalm 118, we read these words. See if you can spot Jesus anywhere in there. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O oh Lord, save us. O oh Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the feastal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. You spot Jesus in there? There's an acknowledgement, you have become my salvation. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. Jesus calls us to follow him. I am the way and the truth and the life. 
The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The capstone, any architects in here, please do correct me if I've got this wrong, but I think that when you, when you sort of build an arch, the capstone is kind of the, the stone that sits in and, and holds, holds the arch together. Without the capstone, everything else collapses. That is the key point. It holds, the, it holds the whole thing together without that one stone. It comes crumbling down. Jesus, Jesus, despite having been rejected, Jesus is the capstone of our faith, of eternal salvation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That those words were cried out on Palm Sunday as Jesus proceeded into Jerusalem. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine upon us. What did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. With bows in hand, join in the feastal procession. As they took the palm branches, they were waved, they were laid before the donkey as Jesus approached. Approached Jerusalem to be there for the Passover feast. Psalm 118 has signpost after signpost after signpost directing us to this day, Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry of Jesus, God's own son, into Jerusalem. And the response of the psalmist, you are my God and I will give thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That's our response on this Palm Sunday. That's our response to, to our God, to our Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah. Whichever word we choose to use, Jesus is ours Yours and mine. He, he came on Palm Sunday to once and for all dispel any question mark over who he was. That's why we celebrate this day. And I've, I've made a point of saying a couple of times recently that in the past I've struggled with Palm Sunday. I've struggled with it because it kind of just felt like, what's the point of getting all excited about Jesus entering a city where we know that a few days later he dies? But the reason is because Palm Sunday is an event on its own. It is an event to celebrate. We celebrate the promise and the presence of Jesus. But of course, there does come that point where we have to say, well, that's, that's all very well, but where did it all go wrong? Well, you could say it had to go wrong. If it hadn't have gone from, from Palm Sunday, if, if, that, if that atmosphere of triumph and victory had been maintained and uh, other events hadn't taken place, then Good Friday wouldn't have happened. The crucifixion wouldn't have happened. Jesus may have lived into his old age and, and died of natural causes and we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have our Saviour. We wouldn't have the cross but you see, what happened was we went from calling out 
This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. We'd love to think that we'd be in that crowd. We'd love to think that we'd be standing there shouting and cheering and worshipping. But it's quite unnerving to think that there would have been people in that crowd who a few days later were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And it's unnerving to think that actually we perhaps may have been part of that crowd as well. You see, we have to be so careful in the way that we treat Jesus. Because it's so easy to see Jesus and rather than allow ourselves to be molded into what he wants us to be, instead we can try and mold Jesus into what we want him to be. And that's really difficult because we have, we have scripture. And whenever there is a contentious issue, and there have been contentious issues throughout history, things which the church gets split over, things which people disagree on, and we can point to the Bible and say, the Bible says, and if we do that, we become, or we risk becoming, Pharisaic. Jesus came and condemned the legalism of the Pharisees and instead applied the spirit of the law. But of course, that's not to say that Scripture isn't massively, massively key and should be our, our moral, spiritual life guide. But we must also remember that Jesus reached out into the society of the day. He reached out to people on all rungs of the social ladder, all areas of society. He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he hung out with gluttons and drunkards. He kept company with prostitutes. Jesus challenged the social norms of the day to such an extent that some people were very uncomfortable with that. That wasn't the Jesus that they wanted. They wanted to shape him into the Jesus they wanted him to be, and he wouldn't do that. Jesus will not be manipulated. So we have to be careful that we don't become Pharisaic in our application of Scripture, but we must also be careful that we don't allow ourselves, our church, our God to be moulded and shaped into something that God doesn't want it to be by the pressures of the society in which we live. And then, of course, there's another layer, isn't there? The layer of church tradition. We've always done it that way. Yeah, but maybe we've always got it wrong. Church tradition can become quite a dangerous thing. Because if we always maintain our church tradition, because we've always done it that way, and we're not for changing, we become rigid. We become something which is alien to the society outside those doors. 
and therefore we become a stuffy institution which bears no relevance to the world around us. Jesus does not want us to be that. And so there's these three, these three influences, and, and we need to have parts of all of them and, and discard other parts, and we need to find that, that middle ground where, if you like, those three circles uh, merge. And in that middle ground, that's where we find Jesus. We're honoring scripture. We're, we're, we're relevant to the world outside. We're, we're loving people, but we're not bending and, and allowing ourselves to be, to be shaped and we're not looking back and saying, well, we've always done it like this, therefore we don't change. And Jesus, Jesus fitted into that centerpiece. And one of the reasons why history has so many tales of people blowing each other up and, and, and lining up against each other on a battlefield in the name of the Prince of Peace is because we forget how carefully we must be that we don't try and mould our Jesus into the shape that we want him to be but instead we are prepared to allow ourselves to be moulded into what he wants us to be. But the great thing is, the great thing is that because Jesus entered Jerusalem on the beast of burden, on this meagre, humble, unassuming animal, because he did that, and because by the end of the week, despite the arrest, despite the mock trial, the false testimony against him, despite the injustice, despite the torture and the beatings and the floggings and the crown of thorns and the carrying of the cross and the nails, despite the bleeding and the screaming, despite the mockery, Despite all that, on the cross, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus became the beast of burden, carrying the weight of our sin, the weight of our guilt. He carried that willingly so that we don't have to. That is why we celebrate today. And we know, we know that next time, and there will be a next time, because Jesus promises there will be a next time, and our God does not break his promises. Things will look slightly different. There's no mention of a donkey next time. but maybe we have a hint of what to expect, and it's pretty exciting. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. 
Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There'll be no donkey in sight next time because the burden has been borne. Jesus bore that on the cross for us. But next time, there will be something more akin to that image we saw at the start of this service. In fact, no, scrap that. Something way more impressive, way more authoritative and powerful. Jesus will return. And that will be the ultimate victory. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So Palm Sunday, it's not just something that that happened. It's, It's a foretelling of something that will happen. There will be a second coming. Jesus will return. And the next triumphant entry will be the last. So let's celebrate this Palm Sunday. Let's be excited and let's give thanks to our amazing God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you for what it reveals to us about your son. And Lord, on this Palm Sunday, as we remember Jesus entering Jerusalem, Lord, help us to acknowledge that this was a moment where he he personally, he personally demonstrates to each and every one of us that he was your Messiah. Father, you sent your son into this world to live amongst us, to share with us, to walk the path that we walk to teach us, to guide us, to lead us. And ultimately, to die for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that as we, as we think back to the first Palm Sunday, we can see so much affirmation of Jesus taking his rightful place as your son, fully man yet fully God, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus' willingness to fulfill the, the path that you had planned for him, the role that you had set before him. And Father, we know there are times in our lives when we, we would have been with the crowd shouting, Hosanna, glory to the King of Kings. But Father, we also know there will be times in our lives where we, we have or we will be part of the crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Well, Lord, we need your forgiveness. We need that cry on the cross. We need a saviour. And we thank you 
that in Jesus we have just that. So Father, bless us this day as we celebrate your love for your people, as we celebrate that we can join together as part of this thing that we call church and that we can, we can say as a body of believers in you, Alleluia, Jesus is Lord. And in his name we say together, Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the band to come back up now. And we're going to sing a final song before we close the service. And if you are a visitor to the church, then um, we have tea and coffee after the service. Please join us from that. Um, it would be great to get to know you and, um, and to share this day with you.